0: All right, you ready to get back into James? Turn in your Bibles to James's letter, almost all the way at the end of your Bibles. We began this study last week. We will cover those exact same verses, because we only made it eight verses in. But this is the thing with James that I mentioned, and I want us all to just keep in our minds and, you know, in our, in our belts, so to say, is James our understanding of this document? James is—he uh, is speaking very practical advice as an elder, as a pastor there in the community of Jerusalem. And as you read through this, you really do get the feeling that these are sermons that he communicated. They're subjects that he communicated often, and they've been consolidated down into nice little segments you can take the little segments as wise sayings kind of like new testament proverbs but we're going to see this morning we're going to you know our little terms about putting a pin in it or putting this subject in the parking lot or we're going to circle back to it you know just that kind of idea you watch james do this over and over with the topics that he brings up in the beginning as he goes through this letter he's going to return to those topics Sometimes they feel like they're taking on a different flavor and a different nuance. He's coming at a different angle. Sometimes it feels like it's a very different subject matter. And you can, they're all nicely contained. But as we go through this, this morning, James has a flow of thought. And his flow of thought is flowing from his life experience, his entire life experience. We're going to see the influence of his mom in his life and his writing today. We're going to see the influence of John the Baptist in what he writes today. We're going to see the influence of Jesus, his brother, in his writing today as we go through this. So let's go through the first verses, uh, because the ideas that he brought up in the beginning that we talked about in depth last week, he is going to, they're separate, a couple different separate, separate subjects that we'll talk about this morning, but at the same time, like I said, there is a, Flow of thought as he is going through this. So, James, a bondservant of God. I don't think the first uh, eight verses are up on the wall, so follow along in your Bibles. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. So, Jewish believers that are outside of the land of Israel, greetings, literally rejoice. And that's important because, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials yesterday we sat in a testimony of an amplified trial Again, yeah, when the ver- the variety of the testings the trials the circumstances of your life that surround you that press you in that push you down they take all different kinds of volume of amplification right some are pretty easy they're pretty minor and others, it is as though the whole world is crumbling upon you and everything in between. I want to I just sit in this for a second because I want to be able to communicate to you what the Lord is doing in my life. You know, this, this is weird and it's, it's how we hear the Lord's voice and speaking to us in different ways. This subject matter started, the Holy Spirit popped this into my mind a month, a month and a half ago while watching a Jerry Seinfeld stand-up thing on Netflix. Jerry's just, he's he's an observer of human behavior, right? So that's where his comedy is based upon. And the, the, the portion of the skit that he was doing, he's just focused on, we're never content with where we are. You get in your car, you know, this morning, you woke up when do we have to leave for church, right? Just the the agitation of the morning. By the time you get in your car, how long is it going to take us to get to church? The agitation of traffic. You're now here in your seats. When's worship going to start? When's worship done? When's Blake going to stop talking? When's the meal? You know, we're never happy with where we are, right? Just the human lack of contentment is kind of where the the humor that he was bringing out. in it. And again, we all recognize that that's why it's funny. But again, just sitting in this, like taking that that's, In that skit, the Lord, like, put that in my mind. Oh, that's an an interesting and true observation of human behavior from Jerry Seinfeld. Put a pin in it in my mind, so to say. Now, as we start turning our attention to James, and it's count it all joy. Count it all joy. Make the choice for joy, regardless of what the trial looks like. Now, that doesn't mean empty yourself of your emotions. But the choice is faith. I believe Jesus. We sat in this in Acts. We believe. We trust. We are confident in him. Absolutely. But this, this idea of intentionally choosing joy in the midst of whatever circumstance. So this week, and again, like connecting this thought. So sat in this and studied, communicated it last week, sitting in the same, you know, just meditating. What does this mean, Lord? What does this look like? At work, we're sitting as, as a team in my department and we are planning our goals and our strategy for the year. We're on our knees and we're praying together, looking for the Lord's wisdom, the Lord's will, not our own. Have a coworker sharing a devotional before we begin. We begin. And he's got a he's got a he didn't he wasn't raised with a liturgical background, but he's in a congregation that that follows a religious calendar. So last Wednesday, the day that he's sharing, was Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. Again, this isn't a biblical thing. This is this is an expression of, of believers in the Lord. It's an expression of church tradition. So you can focus on tradition or you can focus on Jesus. Right? Make of it what you will. Began with just a day of preparation before you celebrate the death of Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins before we celebrate his resurrection. Over time, this celebration took on a longer and longer period of time. Well, Lent is focused on you need to have a period of 40 days before Resurrection Sunday in, in meditation and in letting go of your flesh and realigning yourself with the Lord. So he's communicating this, right? Where are you going to let go of? And for me, it's, it's this verse. How am I going to count it all joy? in the variety of circumstances in my life. And not just until Easter, but for the rest of my life. So I'm doing this publicly because you got to keep me accountable. And I have to keep you accountable. Know what I'm giving up? Complaining. Anything in life cause you to complain? Your spouse, your kids, your job, the neighbors, the music... The government, right? We have we have we have a list of things that we can complain. I'm not a natural complainer. I don't really go above and beyond this in that kind of stuff. But there's one. There's this idea of complaining in the Old Testament when Jesus saved Israel out of their slavery, in this imagery that He has saved us out of our sins. And he brings them into life. He brings them out of that slavery. You have the image of the, you know, God is there visible in the cloud, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. He's there speaking to Moses. He's leading the people. What are the people doing in their tents because they're out in the wilderness? Complaining, why? Yeah, God just delivered me from slavery, but you know what? My slavery felt a lot better than this desert does. Right, so there's this whole complaining of israel and it's one of those things when i first read it it's something that has stood out to me uh, my entire christian walk of following jesus of not being a complainer of my circumstances and um like even even this week i had to write a 2500 hundred dollar check that i wasn't expecting that's not easy for my household and i could have complained about it right i could have griped about it but the lord's my provider didn't catch him by surprise i'm good he'll provide There's nothing to worry about there's nothing to stress about i am choosing to count it all joy and this is the thing the choices that we make form what they form habits it takes a little bit of time so even like in 40 days before easter just taking a religious liturgical idea and putting it into practice lord i'm gonna i'm gonna make the choice to choose you to choose joy rather than to choose complaining, to choose griping about my circumstances. I'm going to make the choice so that you can form a new habit within me, that habit of pressing into your joy, pressing into your praise, right? I can just talk about this verse the whole time. I love it. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing, testing the genuineness, and again, this is what the whole subject matter is focused on, your faith, the testing of your faith, it produces patience. We need to let patience have its perfect work in us, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We lack nothing in Jesus. Declare that and believe that because it is true. But if any of you lack wisdom, anybody lack wisdom? Yep. Let them ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it's literally ask The giving God. And you can put that there as a title. The God who gives. Ask the giving God. He is standing there. He is waiting. He is invested in you. He has created you. He loves you. He is not pursuing your failure. He is pursuing your success. He is pursuing imaging his son in your life. Ask the giving God what you need. And he will give to you. Simply. Straightforward. In a way, he is not mocking you. He is not demeaning you. He is not shaming you. He is there as a father ready to give to you and to take away from you whatever the circumstance needs according to his will. Ask the giving God for what you need. And we all need wisdom. It will be given to you. But how do you ask? You ask in faith. And here it's without doubting. It's not in unbelief. But without hesitation... For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind, for let no uh, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all of his ways that it's this whole idea of uncertain in regards to your understanding of who God is and what God has said and hesitating in whether or not you were choosing to believe what god has said for you and for your life that's this double-mindedness that's being talked about all right all of that is background the focus is your faith in jesus christ the focus is we all have circumstances that test from god's perspective he is refining your faith and your trust in jesus christ will you choose to continue to trust jesus yes or no that's that's this process of whatever the trial looks like in our life and because we find all of our life our source our all in all is in him we can emphatically say i lack nothing but the reality is in our circumstances we all are in need so because we are in need we ask the giving god you got all that under your belt all right here's today, but it's not in the translation, but it's, it's in the Greek. It's, uh, it begins with this but, because we're contrasting, James is contrasting the double-minded, doubting soul with what he has to say here. Let the lowly brother, and this is the humble, the meek brother, the poor brother, glory, boast in his exaltation, his high position in Christ, but... The rich, somebody who has an abundance of material wealth and his humiliation, literally the loss of fortune. Because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning, a scorching heat that it withers the grass. It, It sucks the moisture out dry, withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes, is destroyed. So let the rich man. So the rich man also will fade away in all of his pursuits, all of his journeying, going to and fro, uh, to make money. So here's here's a variety of ideas. One, uh, as we continue through James's message this letter, he's going to return back to the the contrast between the rich and poor a couple of times. So it's one of these ideas that's going to carry forward. Culturally, as you are sitting with James in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is, again, subject to Rome at this time, and there there is a class war on the outside in the culture between those who have and those who don't have. It's a, it's a culture that is sitting in famine. Remember, Paul is going to the churches in Asia and Greece, and he's taking up an offering, and he's bringing it to the church in Jerusalem because they are in need. So those who have abundance, and even in their lack, Paul talks about, the, those gifts that he is collecting when it's brought to Jerusalem, even in their poverty, they're still giving to the church that's in Jerusalem that's even further impoverished. So, this is a very real thing as the congregation gathers together in Israel. There is a class war on the outside. And again, every pastor is going to observe whatever's going on in the world, it comes into the congregation because out there is what influences us. Now, before we get into the full teaching here between poor and rich and talking about this idea of influencing, who are your influencers? Right, we sit in this cultural phenomenon of online influencers, but in all honesty, who influences you, or who has influenced you, could be a grandma, a grandpa, a mom, or dad. Uh, a, you know, a believer that walked alongside of you in a very specific way, somebody that you listen to now. You have human beings who influence the way that you think, how you process, the lens that you observe life. You've had influencers that have been good for you and you've had influencers that have been bad for you, right? We're going to talk about James' positive influencers. So hold your place here and turn to Luke chapter 1. Because like it or not, who has the greatest influence in your life in regards to other human beings? Typically mom and dad. Whoever raised you, When you were little, grandma, grandpa, mom, and dad, mom or dad, relative, adopted, whoever raised you has put a tremendous imprint of their life upon you, yes? My mom and dad, they have given me their genetics. It's what God used to wire me as I am as an individual. You can look at how I behave, the words that I speak, and you can see that I am a very clear mix of my mom and dad. And I guarantee we see that in all of your lives too. Do you think that Mary had an influence upon her son James? So as we talk about the words poor and rich and humiliation and exaltation, listen to Mary's words and her magnificence. As she is proclaiming these words, filled with the Holy Spirit, she is with child of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in her womb. And this whole idea of conception is going to come up again in a minute. And listen to her words, because the words that she speaks here, I guarantee she spoke the same message to her children over and over again. And as James is communicating to the congregation as he's communicating about his brother, as he is encouraging the church. Who influenced him all those years ago? There's still the words that are pouring out of his mouth. Listen to Mary's Magnificent. This is Luke chapter 1. I can't even read that. Verse 40-something, 6, I think. Mary said, My soul magnifies, makes large the Lord. My spirit uh, my spirit has, does it say has rejoiced? man. Not only can't I read, it's totally marked up, and I can't even see the words. My soul has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he is regarded, here it is, the lowly, the humble, the humiliated uh, estate of his maidservants. And you got to sit in Mary's context, uh, where she is as a pregnant woman outside of marriage, where she is as a Jew uh, ruled by Rome where she is in her class. There's all different ways that you can press into her praise here. He has regarded the lowly state, the humiliated state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. Amen. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him. And we can switch that word to who love him we're going to see that as we go back to james from generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted there's our word he has exalted the lowly He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. Write this verse down. We're going to end up going back to James in a minute, not yet. But all of the words that she spoke, like the, the, the subject matter, her as she is praising God, the words that she is choosing to pour out of her mouth. This, this whole thing is pouring out of James's mouth in James. Now, another influencer in James's life was John the Baptist. James would have been there during John the Baptist's public ministry as he is proclaiming the coming of the Lord, making way, right? Preparing the way of the Lord to come. And all that uh, John the Baptist communicated, so I want you to turn to Isaiah, chapter 40. If you know anything about the prophecy of Isaiah, there is a major transition at the end of chapter 39 into 40. So much so, some commentators want to say that there's two different Isaiahs. That is not true. Both the early chapters and late chapters recorded in the New Testament referencing isaiah as the author but at the end of chapter 39 the prophecy of babylon's coming and babylon's going to carry away the people of jerusalem going to carry away the things of the temple bad news now the beginning of 40 comfort yes comfort my people says your god speak comfort to jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended can't wait for the day when war is done physical war spiritual war her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned in jesus amen for she has received from the lord's hand double for all her sins sit in the consequence of sin in israel and jerusalem here's john the baptist the voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted the same. The poor, the low, will be lifted up. Every mountain hill will be brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight. And the rough places smooth. Same imagery James is using. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed Can't wait for this day. When Jesus returns, all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? Here's James's paraphrase. All flesh is grass. And all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades. Because the Spirit, the breath of the Lord, blows upon it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades. But what stands forever? The word of our Lord. Do you believe it? Turn back to James. Now, as you sit in his influence, you know who he's been listening to. You know who has imprinted his life. He's listened to his brother preach he sat in his season of unbelief of confusion of unsurety after jesus's death and his resurrection jesus had a private one on one meeting with james we are told in 1 corinthians james has his radical conversion and understanding who his brother is as the messiah And again, the testimony that church history gives us in regards to this man's piety, his prayers, his devotion, his service in the name of his brother, in trials, his entire life is a life that is to be exalted and esteemed. You know, church history gives us some amazing stories. Now you sit in his teachings. The contrast of an unstable, a hesitant soul in relationship with Jesus. Here's the balance the poor, the humble. Boast in your exaltation in Jesus. Are you weak in the flesh? Are you weak in all the troubles of the world? You know, you can sit in literal uh, lack of human materials that we need, whether it's your food, whether it's your clothing. Exalt, boast, take confidence in, glory in the exaltation that he has given to you. And now, again, as the ideas are flowing here, he's told us to, what are we supposed to do? If you lack wisdom, you ask of the giving God. If you lack something materially, who do you ask for? Who do you ask? Who do you seek for your provision? God? Does God give you everything that you ask for? Are there human beings, brothers and sisters, devoted to Jesus Christ that are impoverished, that are in physical lack in this world and in our community? Yes or no? Yes. so just because you ask doesn't automatically mean that the giving God is going to give you what you ask for but when you ask in faith when you ask without hesitation you're trusting that he's leading your prayers he knows what you need before you even ask he is going to give to you exactly what you need and when you need it does anybody like waiting till 1159 for the provision none of us do but what does it teach us Patience, what is patience to do? It's got a work to do in you. It's got a work to do in me. God is who he says he is. Believe it. The poor, you're in need, you lack, you ask, you wait, you trust, and you boast in your weaknesses and your lack and your poverty, whether that's spiritual, mental, physical, whatever it may be level playing field though right we are obsessed in our culture with the rich and the definition for that is why do the kardashians have a television show that's been going on for like 20 years or something we're you know the lifestyles of the rich and famous we're we're obsessed with abundance usually again that lack of contentment we usually want more the standard saying is, you know, if you make $50,000, you know, $70,000 a year will be just enough. If you make $70,000 a year, you know, $100,000, that'll be the perfect mark. You make $200,000, you know, two that will be the... It's always something more. And abundance is blinding. You know why? Because when you have all of the stuff... All of the stuff becomes the focus, the protecting it, the pursuing it, the distractions of it. Wealth is not a sin. Poverty is not a sin. Both of them come with their challenges for sure. But the focus that James is focusing on here is, again, usually those who are the ones who have, they are esteemed as though God has blessed you. God loves you more. God is taking care of you better than he's taking care of me. I want what you want. you know, And all that that breeds in, in creating a lack of faith and a lack of trust and trying to do it our own way in life. So this whole idea of in Jesus there is a level playing field. Brothers and sisters, if you are in lack or if you are impoverished, you need to boast in the exaltation, in him lifting you up those of you who have an abundance you need to glory in your humiliation the removal of your fortunes and this is the idea what is the removal of your fortune in jesus none of it's yours it's all his you're a steward and by coming to him you are you're letting my life is not my own my stuff is not my own it's all his Lord, you direct me what you want to do with the abundance that you've given to me. And the reality in our country, most of us are dealing with an abundance. And for most of us in this nation, if you have a lack, more than likely, not always, but more than likely, it's life decisions or the Lord has placed you there because he has something to teach you, to process in you, so that he will be glorified in and through your life, and again, his focus here is just—it's spring right now. The daffodils are coming out. We have—we have a willow tree that's already bloomed. I was out there yesterday. Half of the flowers on that willow tree have already dried and withered and followed, fallen to the ground. It's that imagery that we have—the cycle of life. We—we we look at these beautiful flowers that are what Solomon, in all of his wisdom, in all of his riches. In all of his glory, in all of his splendor, nothing in comparison to what God has created out here. And you can just go stand and look at a daffodil. Get down on your knees and look at those daffodils that are popping out right now, and you, can, you see God demonstrating his glory and his creativity. So for the rich the riches that we have, the abundance that we have. You don't carry any of it with you. None of it's yours now in Jesus anyways. We glory in our loss of fortune is the idea. Now, verse 12, blessed, sitting in a beatitude. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Same word for patience. There is a remaining under There is you are continuing to press forward in your life and relationship with Jesus, what he's directing you to do. Even if there is resistance, there is also opposition coming your way. So there is a standing your ground in the idea of endurance. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, proved genuine, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who what? Love him. And again, this is, this is the subject matter. It's all about your relationship with Jesus. Your faith in him, in his words, your love for him, your adoration. What you love is what you're pursuing. Blessed is the man who endures, remains. And again, the, the difference here, there's, there's a difference in flavor of a trial, a circumstance of life, we're going we're gonna to sit in. James is going to sit in it. There's a, there's a source. You know, is that source something that's internal? Is this something that is from the world? Is this something that is from the princes and principalities? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Talk, Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. We are at war with these princes and principalities, this demonic realm. Again, James is going to turn to this idea as we continue on in his letter. Or is the source of this from God? So we sit in this, and he says, verse 13, Let no one say, do not say when you are tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. "'Nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted "'when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. "'Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, "'and sin, when it is full-grown, brings forth death. "'Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. "'Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above "'and comes down from the Father of lights, "'with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning.' Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, again, the encouragement that's coming from James. Keep going. Keep following Jesus. Blessed is the man and woman who keeps aiming and keeps following, keeps listening, keeps obeying, keeps worshiping, keeps praying all of the, everything that's wrapped up in your relationship with Jesus, keep going, regardless what the opposition that's coming away, regardless of the anchor that you feel you may ha- have hanging off your back in the circumstance, keep going. Blessed is the man and the woman who endures the temptation. He has promised to you his life. He will give you the crown of life. He's promised it to you. Do you believe? Yeah? Maybe? But when you're tempted, when the trial's there, when the testing's there, who's the source of it? Again, Go, go, sit, and go, go sit in Job's testimony. Job's circumstance. Who's the source? Satan or God? Yes. What was, what was Satan's temptation? Satan comes to God, says, I see your servant Job. The only reason your servant Job loves you is because you've blessed him. You prune that man. You take away his blessings, take away his family, take away his possessions. Your servant will curse you to your face. Just like I curse you to your face, is essentially what Satan is doing. What well, does God say? Okay, you can take it all away, don't touch him. Who's the source of his trial? Both. What's the difference? Satan is there for Job's failure. Satan is there, Job, you take your own life. Curse God and die. He's not worth following. Look what he's done to you. Everything that you have is taken away. Curse him and die. Satan wants your destruction. He is a thief. He is a liar. He is a murderer. And he is looking for every opportunity in your life to curse God to you and to get you to not trust God and to give up and quit. What's God doing in Job's life? I'll let you touch him. I'll let you make Job the most miserable human being on this planet. And I will prove his love for me and his trust for me and that man's testimony has stood for four thousand years to the glory of God I don't know if he Job for me Job is the first biblical book I know that I read and because I had to read it in a college class and it's one of the it's one of these stories as, as a piece of literature as a testimony of a man who loved God who went through the most miserable life experiences his life proclaims God's glory to me And may my faith stand up in the midst of all of that emotion, of all of that pain, of the counsel of all of the friends, of the the questioning of, of God, of looking at my own life and circumstances. Why am I here and why is this going on? All of that, what does Job end up doing? God shows up and manifests his glory and restores to him, gives him life in this world and definitely in the next. Don't let anyone, none of you, say that God is tempting you, that God is seeking after your destruction. Whatever he gives to you, whatever he takes away from you, it's to make you be exactly who you need to be. Right now, and for the future, and for testimony, and to declare his glory, moment in and moment out. But here's sin. We're told, again, Ephesians, Paul says... We don't wrestle against the flesh. We wrestle against these princes and principalities. Yes. But again, you can't sit in any verse of the Bible without taking the entire counsel of God's declared word, declared truth in its context. Here, James is telling us, where does sin start? Where is it conceived? The imagery that James is giving is an adulterous relationship. You, as you are one with God, you have been unified with God throughout the entire Old Testament. Anytime you step outside of that relationship, we get this imagery of adultery. So that's the same imagery that James is using. You, in your internal self, in your mind and in your heart, your desires here are personified as lust. And there's an unholy, adulterous union that happens and sin is conceived. Rebellion against God. Disobedience against God doing what God says not to do, not doing what God says to do, right? All these excuses. You can go sit in Romans chapter 7 with Paul and sit in those. I find myself doing those exact things that I don't want to do and those things that I do want to do, I'm not doing those. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body of death? I thank God. In Jesus Christ, and then you go sit in Romans 8. What's, what's the success? It's living a life in the spirit, not living a life in the flesh. Incredible chapters, Romans 7 and 8. Go sit in those and compliment to this. But here, James is saying, in this illicit relationship, in your mind, all internal with this personified lust, sin is conceived. And when sin is conceived, again, sit in the imagery that uh, you can sit with Mary being conceived. Again, this whole idea of giving birth. What does sin give birth to? What does sin bring about? What's its end result? Death. It's something that, as we were talking about earlier, in habits, in choices. I can make choices to, to marry myself to my desires. And allow this thing to conceive within me that ought not to be there. Because it's the product of an adulterous relationship that I have going on internally. And it is going to bring about its consequence in my life. It's going to bring about little deaths. It's going to bring about behaviors that ought not to be there. It's going to bring about deaths in relationships with other human beings. It's bringing about a separation in me between me and my God and my Savior that I don't want. See the imagery? And again, this is the the encouragement. He's, He's bringing these things up not to condemn, but to make aware. Here in this relationship when it's full grown it brings about death and we are encouraged we are commanded actually it's in the imperative do not be deceived it's not you sinners it's don't be deceived don't be led astray my beloved brethren before we get into that for i totally forgot to mention the, the imagery that he's using it's like a it's a bait on a fish you know, you got a school of fish swimming along, and you've got a lure, and there's something shiny over there. That's what happens to our hearts all the time, right? Squirrel, you know, there's something shiny over there. There's there's something that just captured my attention. I'm aimed at the Lord. I'm studying the Word. I'm praying. What's that over there? And we're enticed. We're baited away. We're lured away. It can be of the world. It can be of the devil. And it can be a very internal self-conceived kind of thing all right now don't be deceived my brothers and sisters we are one in christ we are in a community of the object of god's love we are in a community together that we are loving our lord together we are in a community together where we love each other every good gift the things that you ask for the good gifts and not just the good gifts now give that the hyperbole the perfect gifts come from where the giving god the source of life the source of truth the source of salvation the source of what's clean but the imagery that he uses every good gift and perfect gift is from above it comes down from the father of lights Father of lights is a title for God. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He created the lights. As you sit in, you know, the ancient culture, um, you know, you sit in the, you know, we use the imagery that the sun goes down. As, as the sun moves across the, the sky, what, what occurs to stationary objects? The shadows move, right? But as God is the father of lights, there's no variation in him he casts no shadow there's no shade of turning within him at all he is the source of creation he is the source of ourselves he is the source of every good gift in our life and listen the imagery here's the here's the um the result of a salacious relationship internally its conception and its product brings forth death What does God bring forth? What does God birth? And how does he do it? Life. Who's the bread of life? Jesus. Capital L. God is life. The resurrection is the proclamation and demonstration of that truth. His promise is to give to us life, but he brings, He of his own will, his desire, not of our sinful will and our sinful desires, but his will, his perfect will, that which we say, Lord, your will be done. Make my will, your will. Change me, transform me. Of his will, he brings forth. He bursts by the word of, Of truth, Genesis to Revelation, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Jesus being the first fruit of the dead, through faith in him, we have been granted his life. There is coming a future resurrection of all believers. That will be the ultimate harvest that will be brought into his kingdom forever and ever how does he bring forth life in you and in me there was words I, i i cannot over communicate right now the fun that i have had studying james like this this has been fun exciting invigorating like again God help me that I will never say, like, James is a punch to the guts and a kick to the teeth again. He has a lot of hard sayings. And this is the difference. Like, in my personality, I'm the glass is half full kind of guy. In my flesh, I'm automatically pessimistic. In my flesh, I'll automatically hear the negative before I hear the p- positive. And this, is, this ties into like, this whole idea of, like, Lord, I'm going to give up complaining in the name of Jesus. Make this a habit in me. You know why? Because I, in, my, in my natural response to things, in my own churnings on the inside, I hear the negative so quick. And I can get bogged down in, in all the things that I feel like are going wrong or in the discouragements rather than... Wait a minute. I have been brought forth by the word of truth. He has spoken this entire creation into existence, which includes you and me. He spoke me to into existence. Yes? I mean, this, this isn't some little biological thing. He intentionally created me on purpose. And he has his glory to give to me. And it's all I want. And there's all these hindrances internally and externally and spiritually that can inhibit that. And one of the main inhibitors are my own choices. Yes, I believe in God. Yes, I believe his words. Yes, I want to live these things out. God, help me. Fill me with your spirit so that I can walk in your spirit, not just right now when I'm feeling good and having fun, but when the trial comes and I'm feeling miserable and I feel like I just want to throw in the towel. And you know where all of your triggers are. Satan knows where all of your triggers are. We are told scripturally The demons, they depart, they wait for an opportune time. They wait for a moment to step in and come in with the salacious relationship to capture you. And this is not just sins that we do. It's those things like, you know what God is directing you to do in your life. He's speaking it to you every single day. Satan will come in at the opportune moment. you You don't have to go. Just stay on the couch. It's all right. You don't you don't need to pick up the phone. You you don't need to go over there. You you, you don't 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 do that. You're you're all right, just worry do you know what I'm saying? Do it tomorrow. His word of truth is what leads us day by day. Let him speak to you, pursue to hear his voice ask for him to confirm in the conversations and the worship and the study that we do here whatever study you're doing outside god let us hear your voice let us hear your truth and i believe that your truth is bringing about sanctifying um, exalting swelling um all the words that demonstrate, you know, that superabundance, that increase, that maturity, until that day when we see you face to face, and we will be in your perfect image for all eternity. May his word of truth bring forth his life, because that's its purpose. Amen? All right, worship team, get up here. I'm, se- I'm serious. This is fun. Um, don't let James be a gut punch. Very, very encouraging. Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously. We really do, Lord. And it's because we love you that we gather here. It's because we love you that we want to sit and and listen to the words of of our brothers from from James from 2,000 years ago. And we look at your imprint on his life. We look at Mary's imprint. We look at John the Baptist's imprint on his life. Isaiah's imprint. We can see The influence there, Lord, and we can see his response. He is yearning for us all the way today to love you with all that we are. All your word, it it hangs on that, Lord. Our love for you, our love for each other. Bring about your truth, bring about your life. Free us, Lord, and forgive us for those things that have been conceived within us that are bringing forth death and disobedience and depression and the discouragement and disobedience, all of that, Lord. Give us your freedom. And in that freedom and liberty that you have already provided, let us, let us rejoice, Lord. Let us choose to rejoice. Those bad habits that need to disappear, Lord, we're asking for those things to be severed today and that you'd create in us that, that clean heart, Lord the joy of our salvation in you that you'd form within us the the habits that are needed to to just to mature your life Lord and to to obey you and to love you in in spirit and in truth and with all that we are Lord bring about those things that we need take away what we don't and all things may you greatly be praised Fill us with your spirit now as we worship you. Thank you, Jesus.